Good morning. Over the last couple of weeks, we've pressed into the first two chapters of Colossians, which are this mountain range of who Jesus is. And in chapter three, there's this sizable shift as Paul moves away from who Jesus is and what Christ has done. And then he starts to unpack these huge ideas about who we as followers of Jesus are meant to be, how we are to grow and mature as Christians. Paul's big picture approach in Colossians is to remind us that we are because he is. And so he begins in verse one of chapter three. If then you were raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then you were raised with Christ. Paul's not talking to everyone anymore. The first two chapters are this incredible presentation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. But now he turns his focus to who you were raised with Christ to be. The logical conclusion of us being raised to a newness of life in Christ is that we want to be where our Saviour is. The idea that Paul is raising is this idea of a new citizenship. When you placed your faith in Jesus, you were born again. And when you were born again, you were granted a new citizenship. Well, you don't have to belong to the world anymore, but you've been made a citizen of heaven. And that's why Jesus was able to pray to his father, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And that's why Paul was able to write, for our citizenship is in heaven, as we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Verse one goes on to say to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The word that translates seek in the Greek language should really carry more emphasis than just glancing at something, but to pursue something relentlessly, to make it your continual focus. So Paul tells us to seek those things that are above. Obviously, Paul is telling us to focus on the things of heaven, kingdom values and priorities. But he also tells us that this is where Jesus is sitting, the right hand of the Father, which signifies that Christ has all authority, that he is sovereign, that he is king. And so the things that we are to seek, the things that we are to make our focus as followers of Jesus are heaven and Christ's authority. We're to pursue the culture of the kingdom where Christ is king and his will is done. So we're to long for Christ's reign and our hearts are to be pointed towards the heart of God and his kingdom. The call on us as Christians is to live our lives defined by the culture of the kingdom. I don't know if you've encountered many other cultures before, but one of the things that Laura and I love to do is to travel. We've been fortunate enough to travel to some incredible places. And when you step into a different culture, you realize that not only is the language different, the customs are different, the food is different, the traditions are different. What's normal to me 
isn't normal to everyone. I remember when we went to Thailand on honeymoon, it was literally one of those once-in-a-lifetime holidays. We flew out on Qatar Airways, we had incredible food in the plane, we were picked up by a driver holding a Mr. and Mrs. Farrell sign, we were driven four hours to this five-star hotel on the coast where you literally walked out of your room and dropped into a lagoon that allowed you to swim to the main swimming pool. It was paradise. And as someone who loves a bargain, it was even better as our entire 10-day honeymoon, everything was just £700 per person. There was a small factor of some rioting and civil unrest in Thailand, but the Farrells love an adventure even more so when it's a cheap one. One day on this particular trip, we decided to head in the direction of the infamous Monkey Mountain at the end of the beach. So we wandered out of the hotel, we picked up a tuk-tuk and drove 30 minutes to the base of the mountain. We started to wander our way up and when we got up we realised that this place was stunning. Beautiful temples combined with this view out over the entire bay. As we walked around exploring we decided we'd go and sit in one of the temples and take in the view. And there was this sign that said, please remove your shoes, which wasn't completely unfamiliar to us as we've been in Japan before. So as people who wanted to honour the culture of the country that we were visiting, we slipped off our shoes and left them there. A few minutes later, we're sitting looking out from a clifftop when this group of locals walk past and we hear them shouting, your shoes, your shoes. Little did I know that uh, you were meant to carry your shoes, not leave them at the entrance. And one of the local monkeys had decided it would be absolutely hilarious to steal one of my Converse and do a runner with it. The next 10 minutes were then spent in a diplomatic negotiation where we offered the monkey peanuts from a distance in exchange for my shoe, which thankfully I eventually got back. Simple traditions, everyday actions that locals wouldn't even need to think about. Yet for me as a tourist, I hadn't picked up on these important cultural norms. It takes a while to adjust to a new culture. You can feel disorientated and you're not necessarily always sure how you should be responding. It's like that when you become a Christian, because we all grow up in a culture with its own unique set of aspirations and assumptions. And you journey through the narrative of culture. But then you encounter Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and begins to transform your understanding. And all of a sudden, you realize that your citizenship isn't here. You may be living here for now, but your culture is there. You begin to learn about this new culture that you're to be a part of called the kingdom of God. And you begin to realize that it challenges the culture that we currently live in. This is the experience that the church in Colossians are having. And so Paul issues this challenge. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. 
Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul is telling these new Christians that they should be living kingdom down, not culture up. This really changes how we see our lives because ultimately, before we encounter Jesus, we don't really think about ourselves separate from our culture. We view everything through our lens, our value system, until we meet Jesus. And then everything is turned upside down. Paul wants us to raise the bar, to focus and have intention in our lives. This isn't something that will just happen. We have to be determined to set our sights on the kingdom, to see things as Jesus sees them. Paul is unpacking for us a Christian approach to culture. So often people reduce their understanding of Jesus to being the one who brings our forgiveness and grants us access to the kingdom when we die. But the truth is that the kingdom begins in us when we encounter Jesus, as he wants to transform our lives and impact the world through how we live. So we fix our eyes on the values of the kingdom, not the values of our culture. As Christians, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be a disrupting force in our dreams and aspirations. Our world is fueled by consumption over compassion, by power over peace and greed over grace. If we don't look to Jesus, then we continue to live in the language of our culture rather than as active citizens in the kingdom of God. And so Paul lays down the challenge that it's a change in our words and our actions. But none of this is accomplished without a change of our heart. And so Paul uses this language of taking off and putting on. In that, Paul is telling us to lay aside the old self. When we read these verses, it, it almost sounds straightforward. You take one off and you put the new on. See, when you came to faith in Christ, you chose to align yourself to a new kingdom and a new culture. Those old things can be hard to shift. So what we find is that often we reach back towards the old rather than living in the new. And so there's habits that we go back to. And Paul gives some examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. But Paul takes it one step further doesn't leave, leave it as simply the external actions, but he internalizes it. Anger, rage, malice, slander, language, and lies. It's a heart transformation that we're to seek. And that can't be achieved on our own because even our best intentions become an extension of our own prideful ambition. But God has set us free. So how do we live in that freedom? We need our hearts to be shaped and transformed. Paul tells us in Romans 12 verse 2 to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to open ourselves to the word of God and the spirit of God grounded in the grace of God to have our hearts shaped and transformed. It's this process that helps us walk in step with the values of the kingdom. 
And on all of this, it's a, it's a continual process. I remember the moment when Karis took her first steps. It was in our living room after weeks of cruising around, holding on to the edge of the sofa. Laura was holding Karis, helping her balance when all of a sudden Karis let go and stumbled these two or three little steps and, and caught the edge of the sofa. Now Laura was elated. Here was this incredible moment and we both got to witness it. She just took her first steps! Now one of my character traits, for better or worse, is I set high standards for myself. So I'm watching on and what I see is this toddler with a disproportionately large head to body ratio as all kids have, simply being drawn into momentum by gravity and literally saved by the proximity of the sofa. So my response of, mm, was it though, was a bit of a moment killer. I don't know what I was expecting first steps to look like. Maybe a running leap into the living room or a quick jog down the footpath. But here's the thing. Once I realized that this was the start of something, then so much of our time was devoted to helping those little feet find their way. Two or three steps became 10 and 12. Needing help became total independence. And a few months back at the start of lockdown, those little feet kicked the stabilizers on the bike free. And now we struggle to keep up. But here's my point. It's a journey. It's progress. And as a father, I delighted in it. As we follow Jesus, it's a journey. We don't encounter Jesus and then expect to live a perfectly flawless life. But equally, if we've been on this journey for a while, we shouldn't still be shuffling forward a few steps and stumbling over. And so we orientate our lives around the kingdom. We can't change ourselves, but we focus ourselves daily on the word of God. And we're shaped by the grace of God, by the power of the spirit of God. And we put on the values of the kingdom. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so perhaps even this morning, once we're finished here, a good place for us to begin might be for us to sit with those verses and ask the question, God, what do I need more of? What do I need to put on this week? How are you wanting to shape my life today? And Paul rounds out this part of Colossians by reminding us that we don't do any of this alone, but that we grow as a community as the family of God. And so I wanna finish by praying these verses over each of us this morning. God, we pray that the peace that can only come by knowing Jesus would rule in our hearts and that this peace would radiate to all that we come in contact with. God, that you would make us grateful, that we would recognize that everything we have is a gift from you. Father, with this message of love and grace and peace and forgiveness, 
be central to everything that we do as we learn together, grow together, and worship together, even in these strange and unfamiliar times. God, we pray that everything we are, everything we say, and everything we do would be for the glory of King Jesus as we live our lives out of a place of thankfulness that we are because he is. God, we thank you for this King that we can know as a friend. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name.